uh, with them up here singing and rehearsing that song and all the other children coming in. And you know what I get to hear on the van ride home? I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Incredible. They know every word. Oh, man. And I join right in with them, man. They get, they get me going. Hallelujah. Wow. What a blessing. Well, let me ask you this question. And I want some feedback this morning. Do you like to wait? If you like to wait, stand up. Well, that was the easy question. Now I want you to tell me some things that you have to wait for in your life. Doctor's appointments. Everybody loves to wait for that. What else do you got to wait for? Say that again. Traffic lights. Coulter, what do you have to wait for? Glasses. What do you got to wait for, Titus? Christmas. Hallelujah, brother. What do you got to wait for, Byron? Food. What else do we got to wait for? Come on. Checkout lines. Video games that haven't come out yet. What else do you have to wait for? Payday. Hallelujah. What else do you have to wait for? Huh? Women. You got to wait on women. Amen. Specifically our wives, right, Richard? All right. What else do we have to wait for? Wait for the Lord to come back. Hallelujah. What else do you have to wait for? April, I'm surprised you hadn't just blurted this one out yet, but sometimes we got to wait on our babies, don't we? Amen? What else do we have to wait for? Yes, sir? Halloween. Halloween. What else do you have to wait for? Huh? For you to save some money. Amen? <laughs> don't be getting personal, sister. What? Birthdays. What else do we got to wait for? For me, wow. No, that's a, that's a Francis Berry Hill-ism. Amen? <laughs> Got to wait for me to get done preaching. I'll make you think. Yeah, we're going to see what you say about that about 1230. Amen? What else you got to wait for? Your clubhouse to be done. Well, who's in charge of that? Amen. What else you got to wait for? Titus? Thanksgiving. What else you got to wait for, Brent? School to get out. Amen. What else you got to wait for? Come on, guys. Graduation. What else? Come on. The kids got it going on. Y'all ain't got squat. Easter. What else you got to wait for? See your grandbabies. Amen. Wow. You know, many months ago, Janet introduced me to something that I want to share with you today. And today in the Bible, Joseph's life confirms what she said. What we're going to be talking about today is the waiting rooms of life. The waiting rooms of life. Have you ever noticed that some rooms seem to speak for themselves? When I come into this room early in the morning, and it's quiet, and there's no one here yet, and I come with my heart prepared, I come into this room and and it speaks for itself, and it speaks of worship. It speaks of God. Um, think about walking into a freshly decorated nursery that the proud parents have prepared. and Immediately, that room speaks of joy. That room speaks of excitement and anticipation. Think of a, a cozy den 
on a cold winter's night. There's a crackling fire in the fireplace, and the voices of, of loved ones are talking around the fire. And that room seems to just speak of, of enjoyment and relaxation. Here's one of my favorites. Walk into the dining room just before Thanksgiving meal. Hallelujah. Amen. Walk into that dining room and smell that food. Hear everybody talking it up. And man, that room begins to reverberate with peace and excitement for me, amen, about what we're getting ready to, to partake of. But you know, there's other rooms that are not quite so inviting. Some rooms seem lonely no matter how many people are in them. Often those rooms are filled with uncertainty. Often those rooms are filled with, with fear. Friend, those are the waiting rooms. The waiting rooms of life. As a pastor, I often spend time in the waiting rooms of hospitals. And there in those waiting rooms, you can experience the full gamut of emotions. From the overwhelming joy in the birth of a baby to the overwhelming sadness of a broken heart when somebody loses a loved one. No matter what, waiting rooms are difficult to cope with. But you know, throughout our lives, we have many experiences that develop into a waiting room. For instance, you may be waiting to start a new area of your education. You may be waiting because your health has put you in a waiting room. It may be that you're single and you're wondering, does God even have a mate for me out there? That can be a waiting room. It may be that opportunities you thought would, would have come by now haven't. But regardless of what kind of waiting room you find yourself in today, no matter what, it always seems like it's difficult to deal with. And I think we all agree, we don't like to wait. You'll remember that Joseph has been imprisoned on false charges. Joseph went to jail for doing the right thing. And while he was there in prison, the, the king's butler and the king's baker uh, were thrown into prison for displeasing the king. These two men, both of them, had dreams, and they were very upset about what those dreams might mean. So Joseph volunteered and said, I'll do it. I'll interpret your dream. As it turned out, the butler was going to be restored to his position with the king while the baker was going to get hanged. And after Joseph interpreted the butler's dream, he asked him for a favor. And he said, but remember me when it's well with you. Please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Get me out of this waiting room. And as is the case so often, we are in a period of waiting. Things just don't work out like we think they should. 
When we're in the waiting rooms of life, often things don't work out the way we want. And in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, we read that the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot all about him. Here again, Joseph teaches you and I some critical insights about successful living. For Joseph, too, was faced with waiting rooms. Now we find today that after a gap of two full years, the story continues. And in Genesis 41, verse 1, we read, Then it came to pass that at the end of two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, in that dream he stood by a river. For two long, monotonous years of month after month of the same old prison walls, Joseph waited and waited and waited. Today, I want you to see how Joseph waited. I want you to see how Joseph successfully dealt with delay. First thing you need to know, don't be surprised by periods of delay. The New Living Translation tells us in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as though something strange was happening. You see, almost every book in the Bible tells us of how God's people were dealing with waiting rooms. How they were dealing with with delay. Think of Abraham. Abraham waited for decades for the son that God promised him. Moses spent 40 years tending sheep before getting the opportunity at age 80 to lead the children of Israel out of captivity in the land of Egypt. Then, on top of it all, Moses had to spend another 40 years leading the people around in circles before he got to the promised land. Can you imagine what those kids were saying? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? For 40 years? Are you kidding me? And then Moses gets to the edge of the promised land and God won't let him go in. Wow, what a waiting room. But you know, nobody else that I've ever read about in the Bible has had more wild ups and downs than Joseph. Think of it. From favorite son to slave in a foreign land. From a slave in Potiphar's house to the overseer in Potiphar's house. From overseer to prison and from prisoner to counselor to the king of the land the pharaoh of Egypt you know we all have ups and downs but you'd have to agree that Joseph must have felt like he was on a roller coaster he just couldn't stay up for the fault of going down but friends what I want to point out to you this morning is that there's always someone who has had to wait longer than you. 
There's always someone who has had to wait longer than you in more dirt difficult circumstances than you. There's always someone who's had it a little bit worse. So don't be surprised when periods of delay come your way. Amen? And when those delays come, learn to trust God alone. Trust God alone. Jeremiah 17, 5, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, cursed. Say cursed. Say it louder. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Wow. God said that. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see when good comes, and he shall inhabit the parched places of the wilderness. You know, Joseph's life was not all ups and downs. Joseph's life was not all about these incredible changes because there was one great constant. There was one great constant, and we see it shining through every circumstance and every situation in Joseph's life. What was that abiding constant in Joseph's life? It was God. God. In every situation that it was encountered by Joseph, he gave priority to God. God was number one. His faith was in God, not in Potiphar, not in that butler, not in the king of Egypt. His faith was in God and him alone. When, when, when people failed him, when men failed him, he knew that God was there, even in the prison, even in the waiting room. He knew God was there. Friend, when you and I find ourselves in the waiting rooms of life, when we find ourselves in a holding pattern, so to speak, remember that God is right there with you. He's right there with you in that holding pattern. And he uses your experiences to help grow you up. He uses the experiences we go through in the waiting rooms to mature us and make us of more use to him. So don't be surprised when delays come. And when they do, and they're going to, trust God alone. And when we find ourselves in these waiting rooms of life, you need to make sure you listen. You need to make sure that you listen for what God might be trying to teach you. Because you're not in that waiting room for no purpose. When we find ourselves in a waiting room, I believe that we should ask two questions. First, we should ask ourselves, is there something that God is trying to teach me during this time of waiting? Is there something that God is trying to teach me in this waiting room? The story is told of a French engineer who was traveling on the Mediterranean Sea when someone on the ship got sick with a contagious disease. When the ship got to port, they wouldn't let anybody off the ship. The entire ship had to be quarantined because of this contagious disease. So waiting for weeks, a terribly frustrated 
Ferdinand de Lesseps. That man helped to pass time by reading the memoirs of a man named Charles Lepere. And he read in those memoirs that Charles often spoke about the possibility of building a canal from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. And while reading that book, Deliceps created a detailed plan for the construction of the Suez Canal, which was completed under his leadership back in 1869. That quarantine, that waiting room, that was seven years earlier, proved to be incredibly valuable, not only to Deliceps, but to the entire world as well. If you're listening, say, I love you. I love you too. It may very well be that God is trying to slow you down. It may very well be that God is trying to slow you down long enough to teach you something. And he doesn't feel like he can do it unless you're in the waiting room. Secondly, we need to ask ourselves, is there something that God is attempting to change in my life? Change. We all really like change, don't we? Tonight's youth rally, entitled Changed. Looking in the man in the mirror that we might be changed. Do you want out of the waiting room? Maybe you need to make a change. Maybe something needs to be different. Maybe you, make, you need to make a change. I wonder if sometimes God doesn't put us in the waiting room because He wants us to change. I don't know about you, but I fear that I've wasted so much time, so much time in the waiting rooms of life. Why? Because I didn't ask the right questions. What's God wanting to teach me here? What is it God wants me to change here? in this waiting room. But when we find ourselves in the waiting room of life, we also need to wait for God's timing to the scriptures we go. Chapter 41 of Genesis, verse 1, the word says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of that river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. And so the Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly, seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. 
So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was deeply troubled, and he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret the dreams for Pharaoh. So this time, the king had a dream. This time, Pharaoh had a dream. And in this dream, he saw seven well-fed cows coming up out of the Nile River. Shortly thereafter, he saw seven skinny cows. Amen? Seven skinny cows coming up out of the river. And immediately, the undernourished cows devoured the fat cows. Then Pharaoh went back to sleep, and he dreamt a second time. This time we're told that seven healthy heads of grain grew up and were devoured by seven thin heads of grain. And then he woke up after that second dream, and the Bible says that he was deeply troubled. Pharaoh, no doubt, saw some similarities between those two dreams. He also probably saw the differences between those two dreams. In both dreams, there was a, a series of sevens. How many? Seven. A series of sevens, followed by a second set of sevens. The first set of sevens involved prosperity. The second set of sevens involved a lack of prosperity. But what did it all mean for Pharaoh? He had asked the wisest men in Egypt, but no one could interpret his dreams. And then, in the middle of all the panic about Pharaoh's dreams, the butler, the butler remembers his prison experience, and he tells the king about this young Hebrew boy named Joseph. And in verse 9, the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults to this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, and we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, the servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored him to my office, and the baker, you hanged him. What do we get from all that? God's timing was perfect. It didn't look like it. It didn't look like God knew what he was doing with Joseph. But God's timing was perfect because what happened? The butler did remember. Earlier it said that the butler didn't remember and forgot all about him. But obviously, the butler did remember Joseph and brought him up before the king. Friends, we ought to expect delays in life. And when they come, we've got to trust and trust God alone. And when they come, we have to listen and listen to what he wants to teach you and listen to what he wants to change about you. But remember, God's timing is best. God's timing for all things is best. And when we find ourselves in the waiting room, we also need to remember that we choose. We choose how we're going to respond 
to difficult situations. Verse 14 says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved and changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh. When Joseph was brought to the Pharaoh, the king immediately told him about his distressing dreams and how he had heard that Joseph might be able to interpret his dreams. And in verse 15 there, the Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. And I wonder if Joseph remembered the dreams he had as a 17-year-old boy, those dreams that caused the hatred of his brothers. I wonder if he remembered the dreams that caused the, the distressing situation, the jealousy of his brothers. You know, it seems like every single time that Joseph uses his God-given gifts, he gets burned. Every time he uses his God-given gifts of interpreting dreams, it seems like he gets burned. But here, he uses it anyway. He uses it anyway because he deeply trusted in God and Him alone in every situation. And then in verse 16, we notice that Joseph's first and foremost concern was for the glory of God. That's what Joseph was about, the glory of God. He said, it's not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer, an answer of peace. And then Joseph doesn't stop there. In verse 25, he says, God will show Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then in verse 32, he says, this thing is established by God, for God is about to do it. Giving all the glory to God. I love it how Joseph never compromised. We talked last Sunday night about how Christians sometimes compromise. We compromise the way we speak, the way we act, the attitudes we carry. We compromise from time to time. But Joseph never did. It was never about the Egyptian gods. It was never about the Egyptian goddesses. It was only about God. God, or Joseph chose to focus all of his attention on the one true God. I wonder if in the same way, that's what we need to do. If you and I are going to take advantage of all the God-given opportunities we have, I wonder if we need to be sure we don't compromise. I wonder if we need to be sure that we don't try to make room for everybody else's belief system. Let us not compromise. There is but one, only one true God. Let us not compromise. Because it's very likely, friend, that when you take a stand for God, when you take a stand, you're going to offend somebody. If day in and day out you take a stand for God, for God, I'm telling you, you're going to offend somebody eventually. You might as well prepare yourself for it. But if you want out of that waiting room, you better take a stand. Maybe that's what God's trying to teach you, is that you can no longer compromise, but that you need to take a stand for the one true God. And then in the following verses, 17 through 24, uh, Pharaoh begins to describe his dreams, but he finishes by saying in verse 24 that he has consulted the wisest men that he knew, and no one could interpret the dream. So Joseph tells the Pharaoh, all right, you've got two dreams here, and uh, they're different in some detail, 
But they're only one in their meaning. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of the Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And the dreams were repeated to reinforce the certainty of what was getting ready to happen. Verse 32. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice. Because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. In each dream, we see the seven measured the time that was involved. We see seven years. The fat cows and the plump grains showed seven years of abundance. And the skinny cows and the withered heads of grain were pointing to seven years of famine that would follow these years of plenty. The bottom line was this. Egypt was going to experience seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine so severe that all the reserves were going to be used up and there was going to be starvation. So then Joseph not only interpreted the dream, but he also gave some really wise advice. Some really wise advice on how to deal with that coming famine. Uh, look there in verse 33. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food in those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as your reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land might not perish in the land of famine. I wonder, did Joseph think he was going to be the king's man? Did he think he was going to be that man that he was advising Pharaoh to choose? I don't think he did. I think at best he thought it might get him out of prison. But I don't think he was going to, he thought that he was going to be that man. I mean, to be elevated to a position of prestige and power like that, man, that's beyond his imagination. But you know, that is the way God works. That is the way God works. When we're faithful to trust in God alone, then he's faithful to give us what he alone can provide. The problem is, do we trust Him and Him alone? Then Genesis 37 tells us, So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And the Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Think about it. It was obvious to Pharaoh that Joseph wasn't speaking from his own wisdom. It was obvious to Pharaoh that Joseph was under the influence of the Spirit of God. Oh, that me and you might be seen by the people of this world as people filled with the Spirit of God. When somebody looks at you, when somebody sees you in your daily walk, is that what they see? A woman filled with the Spirit of God? Is that what they see? Do they see a man who has taken a stand because he's filled with the Spirit of God? This heathen Pharaoh saw it in Joseph 
What does the world see in you? That undeniable stamp of the Spirit of God. That's what I pray we have. And then we see how it all ended in verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you, Amen. Pharaoh, this heathen king, he knew that God showed Joseph. Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. Can you believe it? This man sold as a slave, thrown in the prison, now second in command of the greatest nation on the earth at that time, Egypt. The only one he reported to was Pharaoh, the king. I think some people may look at this story and say, ah, that's just all coincidence. I don't see God's hand in that. But remember that Moses acting as the historian here, filled with the Spirit of God, tells you and I that God has been at work in Joseph's life step by step by step by step. And as you reflect on your life of the past, you need to know that when you're in fellowship with God, He guides your step, your life step by step by step. Joseph probably didn't understand all what God was doing. He probably didn't get it all. Neither do we. But here's what he did understand. Joseph understood that God had a plan bigger than Joseph himself. Do you get it? Do you get it that God has got a plan bigger than you? Do you get it? That God has got a plan to reach your grandchildren through you. Do you get it? That God has got a plan to reach the, the, the nations of the uttermost through you. Do you think that it's possible that God has a plan to use Bethel Baptist Church to reach the world? Do you get it? God has a plan much more far-reaching than only ourselves. So many times we get so introverted. We've got to make sure we take care of who's inside. We've got to make sure that we are, are, are comforting and encouraging and, and blessing those who are inside the church. God's got a plan far bigger than that. He wants to use you just like he used Joseph to influence the world for Jesus. Do you know, friend, that from the life of Joseph, God planned to save you? That had God not used Joseph, then he wouldn't have saved the nation of Israel. Jesus was born out of the nation of Israel. You wouldn't have had a savior. God used Joseph 
to save his chosen nation. Jesus came out of the chosen nation. You came out of Jesus. Do you see how Joseph's life has influenced yours? Wow. Every circumstance in Joseph's life flowed from the plan of God. Every circumstance. And Joseph excelled. Joseph was successful because he accepted that God had a plan. And that every circumstance, every situation, every hindrance, every disaster, every struggle that he went through, everything flowed from the plan of God. That plan that determined that there would be other people who would be impacted by Joseph's life. And Joseph was determined. He was determined that he was going to honor and glorify God no matter what. Because God's plan wasn't all about himself. Too many times I fear that we try to dictate to God what our circumstances should be, what our situation shouldn't be, rather than seeking to glorify God where we are. Friend, don't be surprised when delays come. And when they do, trust God alone. And listen to what He wants to teach you. Listen to what He wants to change about you. Remembering that His timing is the best. And when it happens, you make the choice. You choose. And determine how you're going to respond to God. When difficult situations unfold, and they're going to, when you find yourself in a waiting room, and you're going to, instead of asking why, why, instead ask how. How, Lord, can I be used in the midst of this circumstance to bring you honor and glory? Don't ask why. You probably wouldn't understand it if he told you. But you can understand how. How, God, do you want to use me in the midst of this waiting room to honor and glorify you? There's something he wants to teach you. There's likely something that he wants to change about you. But you know, there's only one thing that God never delays about. He's never going to put you in a waiting room when it comes to your salvation. He's never going to tell you, you know, I want you to be saved, but I want you to wait till tomorrow. I want you to be saved, but I'll come back tonight. The Bible says, behold now. Say now. Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now. Say now. Behold now is the day of salvation. He don't delay when it comes to your salvation. And he doesn't delay when he wants to use you as part of his plan to reach other people. He don't want to wait another day for them either. But because of our disobedience at times, other people have to wait before they hear the good news of Jesus. God's plan for your life begins now.
God's plan for your life begins now. If you've already given your, your life to Jesus, not only as just Savior, but also as Lord of your life, I congratulate you and I commend you, but guess what? He's ready to use you now. He's ready to use you to reach the people who have never heard the name of Jesus now. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted His shed blood that washes you clean from your sins and then known the cost for the rest of your life that He has to be Lord of your life forever now, today is your day. God doesn't delay when it comes to your salvation. Be saved now. Now's the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Father God, thank you for the life of Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for what his life teaches us and how his focus was always on you. But Lord, it's not just a story. It's not just a lesson. Lord, it's something that you want to apply to our lives. So Father, I pray that today, if there's one person in here who has not given their lives to Jesus, both as Savior and as Lord of their life, that now, now would be the time. Lord, for the, that long-term, long-time Christian that's been waiting and putting off, becoming a part of your plan, Lord, tell them that it's, it's time for them to start now. We wait and we wait and we wait. And then we gripe about waiting. When all along, if we would just respond to your call, the waiting room would be over. Father, whatever your will is this morning, I pray that you would hear the prayers of the saints and that, Lord, you, you would help people to respond according to your perfect will so that you'll be glorified and that people will know the name of Jesus. In his name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.